We're talking multifamily and hotels at a hotel in Cabo with TJ Tajani. This was a fun one. Make sure you stay to the end here on the Fearless Investor Podcast. If you are serious about building your short-term rental business to $10,000, $20,000, maybe even $30,000 a month or more, you have come to the right place. My name is Kyle Stanley, and this is the Fearless Investor Podcast, where we teach you all things short-term rentals. The best guests, the best tools, the best strategies. There are so many investing paths out there. It can be seriously overwhelming to start out as a new investor, but take it from me, short-term rentals is the best and the quickest way to build your cash flow. So buckle up, listen in, and get ready to conquer the world of short-term rentals. Here we go. Hey, I need to take a really quick break from this podcast. And if you are a loyal listener of the Fearless Investor Podcast, you're probably either a business owner or looking to start a business. And for that reason, you need to make sure you're doing things correctly down to the T. From forming the correct LLC to bookkeeping to understanding the tax code and more, it's all really the boring stuff, but it can make or break your business. In fact, if you aren't doing it correctly, you could be like 98% of other business professionals in the U.S. and overpay on taxes. Don't do that, guys. Be the 2%, and that's why I rely on Easier Accounting, and so should you. Easier Accounting is a team of tax professionals that will set up your LLC, keep your books, file your taxes, and they can even repair your credit. And just so you know, I myself use Easier Accounting, and this came after using a similar company that, really being blunt here, completely ripped me off. So when I started using Easier Accounting, I came in a little bit skeptical, but as I started talking to them, I could really tell they had my best interests at heart. And you know me, if I'm not a professional, I'm not going to do it myself. I'm gonna outsource that stuff. And I hope you will do the same and use that same mindset to hire professionals to help you form and manage your business. Easier Accounting is absolutely the way to go. Go check them out at fearlesskyle.com forward slash easier accounting. Hey, Fearless community, before we get the show started, I want to let you know that you now have the chance to get direct access to me in order to grow and strengthen your short-term rental business. How? The Six Figure Formula Membership. I'm the only one in this space offering this value-packed membership for a stupid, stupid low price of $49 per month, and you get access to me my podcast guests, you get to be a part of our amazing private community, you get our full A to Z business in a box STR kickstart course, and maybe most exciting, especially for me, you get exclusive discounts that we worked for months to get that no one else is getting out there. Price Labs, AirDNA, NoiseAware, HostAway, and so many more at your fingertips. So become a part of this 6FF movement. Get started today for just $49 a month at fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF. Hey, everyone. Welcome into the Fearless Investor Podcast. Team Fearless, I'm super excited about this one because it's an in-person podcast, a very rare one, because I was in Cabo with a number of different coaches for about a week, and I can't complain. It was amazing. But TJ Tajani and I were having a conversation the day before, and I was like, dude, your business is so much different. It's evolved so much in the last couple of years, and people need to hear about this. So, I mean, this guy is doing big events too. He's been with Robert Kiyosaki, Chris Crone, Cody Sperber, just all of these big names in real estate. And he's right there next to them. He's riding in cars with them. He's doing content with them. Like he's he's just completely blown up. And for that reason, I wanted to get him on the podcast. And I want you to really listen to all the things he has going on and you know, keep everything with a grain of salt, right? You don't have to start as many businesses as TJ. You don't have to do all these giant deals, but you can take at least one thing from this talk today with TJ Chajani. So let's go ahead and get to it right now on the Fearless Investor Podcast. All right, bro, here in 
Cabo. Bro, we in Cabo right yeah, now. Yeah, we, it's a, we got it's a different podcast. Drinks in hand. It's only right. <laughs> it's only right. Not a bad life. Not, not a bad, bad life. But I, bad. I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about uh, some stuff. And I want to start it off with uh, a little icebreaker. You told me a really cool story in the pool <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> Uh, about how you got your name, TJ. Oh, yeah, so yeah, I, I yeah. don't know if you ever told this on camera or on a podcast. Before, no, I haven't actually. I want, I want people to hear it. <laughs> so it's interesting because TJ, um, most people think that that's like my initial. Yeah. And um, Tajani's my last name. A lot of people think that Tajani's actually my first name, <laughs> but it's my last name. Uh, Taufik Tajani is my full name. It's interesting because Tajani is actually a unison. Like it could be a first or a last name where I'm from. Oh, in, wow. In the part of Nigeria, okay. I'm from the encounter. A lot of people have Tajani first names, like a lot of people, or it could be a last name. Interesting. And so TJ, essentially, when people know that my, my, my name, both my first and my last name start with a T, I tell people like, though, the TJ just comes from Tajani, just extracted from the Tajani, my last name. But I didn't give myself that name, which is what's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved to the United States when I was eight years old from Nigeria. And uh, where specifically? In Houston, Houston, okay. Texas. Uh, moved to Houston, Texas. And as you can imagine, things were interesting. <laughs> as a young kid from Nigeria, didn't know what the heck, it was a heck of a culture shock. Kids were mean as heck growing up and they were having a field day with my name. They called me all kind of stuff. And I had a bully, uh, he called me all kind of names. And then one day we were in class, and he started saying, well, we'll call you TJ. Um, he was just trying to like, almost to him, he was kind of trying to take the power away from my name. Like, look, okay. I'm just gonna abbreviate you. I'm just gonna just not call and you what you want to be called. Was Taufik Tajani. Taufik. And I would look back like, my name is Taufik. Yeah. You're gonna call me by my real name. Yeah, not not T <laughs> not T not TK. Not TK, not Tafug, not all the yeah. stuff that you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Not TJ either. And so, but as a lot of people were were always making fun of my name. It's so much so that I actually got used to it at a point yeah. in time. And so, but and he was he would call me TJ and I would not answer him like TJ, TJ. He'll be in the back of the class and I'm just ignoring him. I'm looking at the teacher like, no, you're not going to do something. Tell this guy to leave me the heck alone. Yeah. And she'll be like, Bruce, leave, te- <laughs> leave, leave him alone. <laughs> so, and so, but I noticed that he kept calling me TJ. And the other students in the class started calling me TJ. And when more people called me TJ, the bullying stopped. And it started okay. s- slowing down and started, and it just went away. And then it, I just became TJ. Then I just decided, I was like, man, you know what? I'm gonna step into this TJ thing. Okay, just lean uh, into I'm it. I'm gonna just lean into it heavy. Yeah. And I start going by TJ, what's your name, TJ? And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And it's literally been TJ ever since. And that's how I got my name. I didn't even give myself any. Now I really hope Bruce is actually listening to this right now. <laughs> and he's gonna be like, I've been looking for this guy. Yeah. So. I don't know his last name. I tried to look him up before, but I, I don't know his full name. Yeah. So. <laughs> if he's watching this, reach out to me, bro. Let's chop, let's chop it up. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. All right, so bro, last time we had you on the podcast, like yeah. 2021. Yeah, it's been a while. Clubhouse and arbitrage and all those things were going on in your life. A little yeah. bit different now. Why don't you catch us up? Man, so it's crazy because, um, you know, I was screaming arbitrage at the top of yeah. my lungs and arbitrage is awesome. We still arbitrage heavy. A lot of folks uh, believe that my claim to fame into this business is the arbitrage strategy, but I actually own my very first short-term rental. Okay. I was burning both ends of the candle, but arbitrage, you know, it's a lower barrier to entry. I've been doing real estate. I was a wholesaler. I was a fix and flipper. I was doing creative financing. I was wholesaling creative financing deals. And so Long before you arbitrage. Long before I started even got into the short-term rental business. So for me, I was like, okay, that real estate aspect took me, like I've been doing that. So let me just show people how to just get into it like right now. That's why I just only focus on arbitrage. Yeah. Even though I was was owning 
And that's when I, then later I started incorporating, like, look, y'all need to start owning these assets too. Let me show you how to leverage private capital to own it. Let me show you how to own it with creative financing because that component is going to be important as well. So now things are different. My portfolio actually, even at the time, probably we did that podcast, my portfolio was probably a 40 to 60% in terms of ownership versus arbitrage with arbitrage being 60 yeah. and ownership being 40. Now we're more like 80, 20. Ownership. With ownership being yeah. 80 yeah. and arbitrage being about 20%. Simply because of the, probably just the nature of the natural progression of this business, right? So right. we're doing bigger deals. I was going to say, a, a, exactly. a large majority probably well, from the hotels. Exactly. Have, the yeah. hotels, the boutique yeah. hotels, it's multiple doors in one location. Now, instead of me buying one building that's one unit, I'm buying one building that's multiple units. Yeah. So that, that's definitely what changed the scale. And so, uh, which, is, which is amazing. And I love having multiple doors in one location. Absolutely. Because of the opportunities that come with it. Not just from an operational perspective, because operations become easier as well. Yep. And the experience that you can provide for the guest is awesome and the opportunity for, to make even extra income because when you have multiple doors in one location, you can brand that building. Absolutely. When you brand that building, you can treat it like a hotel. I was just talking to my wife about, I said, hey, we need to see, I want to I experiment with collecting people's credit cards for incidentals for the hotels only. Okay. For the hotels, not for any of the SCRs, just like a traditional branded hotel does. Yeah. And, and honestly, I've been, we've been, our next purchase will likely be a branded hotel. We've been looking, underwriting a lot of these branded hotel deals all year. And I think that's probably what the motivation is and just seeing how these, how they operate, taking things from them and seeing how we can incorporate in our boutique hotels. And that was one of the things that I was, that, that, that kind of hit my mind. Like, you know what? They take the cars for incidentals. I remember when we went to Encore in Boston, we were at the Encore Hotel. It was a, it was actually a resort in Boston and we were sat in the Encore Hotel and and they told us at the front desk, they said, hey, when you walk into your room, you'll see a, this tray, but it's a pressure tray. So you'll see a bunch of snacks and, and some really cool, unique chocolates and, and your nuts and all that stuff. Sure. They said, if you take something off that table for 30 seconds, you've bought it pretty much. <laughs> right? Even if you put it back. Even if you put it back. Wow. So she said, if you pick something up off the table, even if, if it's past 30 seconds, you might as well enjoy it because you bought it. <laughs> right. Wow. That was, that was one of the things that they had. And I was like, wow, this, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Streams <laughs> Multiple in, streams. Multiple yeah, streams. Yeah. Exactly. What's crazy is that me, we walked in that room and I saw the pressure tray and we saw the snacks they had and everything looks really high end. Like they're all branded. The chocolates were branded for the Encore, the, the nuts, the, the, even the water. They had a water that was branded that, that was on there. All kinds of snacks, all branded with the hotel brand. Yeah. And so I told, I told, we were in there and I told my wife and I said, look, this is how they get people. See, see that's how they get. See, they ain't going to get us. <laughs> they ain't going to get us like yeah. that. We were sitting there, this is day three at the resort. Okay. We're sitting there watching a movie. We're watching Netflix, just chilling in the room. I'm looking at them snacks. <laughs> now you're tempted. <laughs> I'm looking at the snacks. And I said, I looked, I looked at them, I said, don't let's crack open these snacks, man. <laughs> Why did we destroy everything on the freaking pressure train? Oh we ate yeah. all the snacks yeah. while we were chilling, watching, enjoying the movie. And we were just laughing at ourselves. <laughs> but. It made so much sense. And, and that was another yeah. light bulb moment for me. Like, look, there's a lot of things from an operational perspective yep. that hotels get right. And, and that's actually one of the, the way they operate is one of the things that benefits them the most because they, got, they have Airbnb beat on consistency. The consistency is, if, you, if I book a Hampton Inn in Houston, I'm booking Hampton Inn in Phoenix, Arizona, it's the same Hampton Inn, the same breakfast, the same processes. That's one thing I noticed about the hotels. Versus a lot of people that will book an Airbnb, maybe have a good experience here and a bad experience here. Sure. Then a great experience here. The inconsistency is what allows us to lose guests to hotels. 
Yeah. And a lot of the times when we lose a guest to hotels, we're not getting them back in the Airbnb platform. To me, this is a bigger tragedy than any other news and stuff where revenue yeah. going down and stuff, even though revenue is actually up year over year. But that's to me, that's a bigger tragedy than just Airbnb bust is quality hosts. We actually need more quality hosts in the Airbnb space because most people aren't doing it right. If we could have more, more quality consistency in the Airbnb space, it's actually gonna help, gonna help the entire ecosystem of the short-term rental space. Yeah. But I take a lot of lessons and a lot of things from hotels um, and incorporate in our boutique hotels. And uh, back to kind of like that example of collecting a credit card for incidentals, that's something that we're gonna try to do. And we're gonna have our own branded stuff that we can have. We're gonna have other things uh, that, that we're gonna add value to. Maybe did you forget something? Like, you know, did you forget basket? Yeah. Maybe we maybe we we charge for that. We Maybe we're looking at providing alcohol into, in, in the listing, some type of alcohol that if they take it, they open it, they bought it, right? And we right. collect the payments from incidentals. So a lot of the ways that the hotels are their things. Well, um, so just a deeper question on that. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that we talk about all the time, mm -hmm. right? Is like making the short-term rental industry stronger by educating and yes. helping people be better hosts. But we, there's just still, so, it, it's almost like having a kid, right? There's no pre-screening process for you yeah. to have a kid. You can just go out and yeah. have a kid, right? And and same thing with Airbnb. Like the, Airbnb's not pre-screening you. Your, your county's typically not pre-screening yeah. you. None of that's going on. It's just like, all right, you want to open a business, go for it. So how, how do you feel like, have you thought about this to a deep enough level where it's like, maybe here's a way that we can be more like, more consistent like the yeah. hotel industry that when someone books on Airbnb, they yeah. know they're gonna get this kind of experience. You ever thought about that? Yeah. It's tough, I know. It's tough Yeah, because the, the hotel is just one owner with one process and multiple units. Yeah. Airbnb, you, multiple owners. Multiple owners. This, per, this owner can have one property, this one can have five, this one can have two, multiple owners. So it's gonna be really hard. Yeah to nail down this consistency piece. Do you think Airbnb across. needs to take more of yeah, a, an active, get. yeah. I was just about to get to. Here's how you host, exactly. here's what you need to do. We're not gonna let you text off the platform. You need to do this, this, and this. Like, yeah. what, if they, kind of, what kind of things do you think they should implement to be able to do that? If they, if they really, if to me, what they would have to implement, standards. Mm -hmm. um, standards in terms of, it could be review standards, it could be quality standards in terms of your photos, it could be quality standards in terms of um, your actual listing description. But if they actually said that, hey, you can't host, you can't use this platform until you actually yeah. reach this standard. Yeah. Like if you're actually this quality. And so that may be one of the ways. One of the things I've seen recently is, you know, about once a month now, we see our, uh, a notification that, hey, your, your listing is in jeopardy of being delisted or mm. sometimes it even gets delisted. Yeah. And, and that seems to be a more proactive role that Airbnb yeah. has taken these days because even if it's not a legitimate complaint, even if that complaint comes across the desk, there's like that three to five day period of like the research that's being done by Airbnb yeah. to see if this is a legitimate complaint. And during that time, they're like, hey, you're in jeopardy of, of getting deactivated. Yeah. And, and to me, uh, maybe that's Airbnb's efforts to say like, hey, you know, we're gonna hold the host to a higher standard. Yeah. So, which is both a good and a bad thing, yeah. I guess, you know, for hosts like us that we're like, hey, we know we're doing the right thing. And like, the guests are just being kind of jerks about this whole thing and trying to get a refund. Um, but if you have a, a one-off yeah. post, like what you're talking about, someone who's trying to run a mom and pop shop, have no idea what they're doing, think it's okay to not have hot water in their right. property at any time. You know, that, those are the kind of hosts we don't want on the platform want, anymore. We don't want them hosts. And I tell, and I tell people, man, we, the times have changed. Uh, when I got into the Airbnb space back in 2017, 
I didn't need much to be successful. Nobody yeah. needed much to be very successful in this business. You probably could have picked up a couch off the street and be successful in the Airbnb. Times I say change. you could have listed a tent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Right. And with, with the time changing and the time that we are right now, 2023, expectations have also changed. Yeah. And people expect more. People they expect do. better quality stuff. And so if you're not emphasizing the guest experience, if you're not emphasizing amenities, you're not emphasizing design, then you will get left in the dust. Everything that we're talking about right now, that viral post, I mean, you posted content about it. A lot of short-term mental hosts posted content about that, that one screenshot, oh, revenue's down 40% right. here, right, right. 50% here, this market, this market, this market. And it's, it's, it's crazy because we have that, that post that's, that's kind of going around. What we're finding is that revenue's not actually down, revenue's up. It's just, it's almost like revenue's up 10%, but supply's up 40%, yeah. <laughs> right? And so we have increased revenue, but we have more hosts sharing that pie of yeah. the increased revenue. And so that's more so what we're seeing. And so what we're, what we're finding out is that it's not that the revenue's down, it's that the income is floating to certain hosts and the hosts that are not, that are, that are slacking exactly. are, are getting left in the dust. It's like being a realtor when you've been in the real estate game or you've been serious about being a realtor for the last five years and yeah. then 2020 hits and then everyone and their mom becomes a realtor in 2021 and 2022. You as the realtor knowing I've been in this game for a while, all these pretenders are gonna come in and they're gonna maybe yeah. get like 5%, 10% of the market share. Yeah. But I'm gonna be in this for the long haul and I know that this is either a phase or if I do things the right way, all the money will flow to me yeah. because I, I do this the right way. I kind of see Airbnb as the right, the same, the same patterns. However, I will say, you know, our properties that are the, the basic three bedroom, two bath, maybe not in a good location, nothing really unique about the amenities, no matter how well I market that thing, I can only make you know, a, a Big Mac looks so good. You know what I mean? Like you go, you go and see a Big Mac on a TV yeah. commercial and then you go and buy it in real life and yeah. you're like, ah, oh, it's, it's not as good, but, but they still can make it look good on camera. Absolutely. You can to make an Airbnb look so good. If I'm, if I'm looking for a hot tub and you don't have a hot tub, yeah. I'm not going to look at your property. Absolutely. And that's what I'm finding on a lot of ours. What about yours? Oh yeah, no, that's, that's very, very true. And for me, and it's crazy what you just said on the amenities tip, it's more than just having amenities as well. You have to make sure you manage and maintain those amenities uh, properly. Right. So we're finding like in our, in our listing, the ones that are like crushing it, like our bigger units are crushing it, by the way. Like our three bedrooms, like eight, that sleeps eight and above, they're crushing it. Cool. Uh, even one of our boutique hotels right now, right now we have a guest that booked four units at the same time. Oh, wow. They have four units, but it's 12 of them. And each of these units sleep, each of these units sleep four people. And so, but they booked all four for 12 people. And so we're finding a lot of success in those kind of listings. We'll find a lot of success in our bigger listings. So, but the ones, I just got a message from our, from our listing yesterday. This, the, the guest walked in and said that, man, this is, this is the nicest Airbnb I've ever been in. That's awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's one of our boutique hotels that we freaking, we went all out, made it super nice, decked it out. Because you have to focus on what's, design. What, what's so nice about like give me give me a few things that it make it different. Oh man, porcelain tile, of okay. course, countertops, the design aspect of it, the color schemes, the themes that we have in it. It has a it has a dope back porch area that you can sit and chill on. The front porch is dope, things like that. Uh, we have experiences to where um, that guest actually they they booked the hibachi experience. Oh, uh, wow. so they they actually had the hibachi come set up. In, in the front of the building, so they had the whole building. They had the hibachi come set up. It was a mobile hibachi. 
So they have the whole thing so, going. So do you contract them and yes, take a little exactly. bit off the top? And I, and I, and I get, okay. and I get 20% of the, of the of the reservation. So, so we contract them and they come in and they sit up and they were tossing them in now. They're doing all that jazz. Nice. And so that was cool. And then the guests will, and the guests will post it on their Instagram. And, and so, and so that's another, again, when you're able to have a brand with a product, with, with one of your buildings, man, people say, man, I stayed at this spot and this is the name of it. And man, you should check it out. Yeah. She, to me, that's why I love multiple doors in one location. There's things like that that you won't necessarily be able to easily get with a single family or a three bedroom, two bath. That's why I like multiple doors in one location. Sure. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. I'm brand new. I've got one listing. I've got two listings mm -hmm. somewhere around there. I hear this podcast and I hear this hibachi idea. And my goal is to make, let's call it $10,000 a month to leave my job. And I hear this hibachi idea. I'm like, oh, I, I could go do that. Would you rather, if you're coaching someone or you're telling someone, hey, you want to get to $10,000 a month, would you rather them go and get more units or add, mm. kind of like play it like Monopoly where you're adding more value to each yeah. one of the units? Yeah, that's a dang good question. I would probably say a little bit of both, honestly, yeah. because you have to get, you have to literally squeeze the most out you can out of your listing. You have to see how you can add more value, but in adding more value, make more money, make yeah. more income. What can you do to add additional income? There's not one hotel, not one that just makes money for reservations. Not one. Yeah. A lot of hotels, even my business partners that own a bunch of hotels, they try to have the add-ons cover as much expenses as possible. That way the actual income is, 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 is cash flow for their investors that they can make, cash flow for themselves. And so there's, you have to see how you can get the most out of your listing. Yeah. And trust me when I tell you, there's more that you can get out of your listing sure. once you really think through it. Um, so you have, so that aspect is important as well. But this business gets easier with scale at the same time. It does. I truly believe that. I think this business gets easier with scale. And so you have to scale at some point. If yeah. you're trying to really fire yourself, yeah. you have to scale. We found in our business, when you get about three VAs, it gets pretty hands-off. Yeah. For, at least for us in our business. We, I, have, I, have, I have a COO. She's my general manager. She's pretty much my COO. Then three VAs under her. Pretty, about two hours a week in my business. Literally, that's it. So, but, and, but you can't do that with three doors and two doors like yeah so so that's why i said a little bit of both is probably going to be important because you need to get the most out of your listing and which that's why i love to say get one get a good then scale yeah. if you can get this squeeze as much juice out of your listing you'll be able to tra transition that same package to the other listing that you're gonna that you're gonna get so i'll probably say a little bit of both is gonna be important sure. i like that I, I i think for me the process that i went through was it was so natural that we, you know we went right after COVID from seven units to 25 nice. and like overnight because yeah. everyone saw, hey, whatever Kyle's doing is still working. Yeah. Even it survived even COVID. And so we had all these yes. clients come in. And so those seven that we had created, like that was our model. We were just going to go copy that. What, what I like about what you're saying is had we just said, hey, you know, how can we squeeze the most juice out of these seven mm -hmm. units? Maybe that, that model by unit eight to 25 yeah. would have been a little bit different, a little bit more lucrative, yeah. but it's tough to change that. That's the, the toughest it's thing about the exactly. business, right? When you get to 15, 20 units and you want to make one change, <laughs> you want to change that lock from a schlag to a Yale. <laughs> you got to, oh, oh that's going to take yo, a year. That's going to take yo, a year. Yo, yeah, that's going to take. <laughs> it's going to take a long time. You might have two or three different locks yeah. for a little bit until you switch everything so I, I think there's that balance, right? Of there's like that balance. And Mike, our good friend, talks about this all the time. Like, what's the goal? Yeah. What's going to get you to that goal the fastest? Yeah. If you think it's going to be hard for you to have a lot of leads coming in, then get the biggest juice out of all those squeezes. But 
if you think you're gonna have leads out the yin yang, like stop trying to make every one of them perfect. Just like get them yeah. up, get them going. And sometimes you just gotta figure it out along yeah, the way. Yeah, that's facts. All right, listen up. If you are not using Price Labs, you are literally throwing money in the trash. Dynamic pricing is a must in our industry. If you don't know what that is, dynamic pricing is just a fancy term for supply and demand pricing. When demand is high, Price Labs will get you high price bookings. And when demand is low, it will fill up your calendar while the competition overprices themselves and leaves everything vacant. I was dumb in the beginning of my short-term rental journey. I thought I could do it all without Price Labs. So one day I just said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to try this thing out. And immediately my income went up 15 to 20% on my listings. I really was kicking myself. I should have been using this from the beginning. So don't make the same mistake as me. Get started with your free 30-day trial at fearlesskyle.com forward slash price labs. Or even better, how about getting 25% off your first six months as a thank you for being a part of the STR six-figure formula membership? That's right. Go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF to become a member and claim that discount today. I want to ask you a question before we get into hotels a little bit deeper. We started with arbitrage yeah. from the short-term rental perspective. I know you were doing real estate investing before, but now today, like you said, it's kind of flipped and you own a lot more. Do you think for a new person today, arbitrage is still an opportunity? I think arbitrage is still a great opportunity. I, I truly believe that. Uh, there's a lot of volatility in the market and that provides opportunity. I think arbitrage is in a great way. Um, one thing that I, but you have to arbitrage the right way. You know, one of my students, they had an opportunity for a building, it was a triplex. And they were talking to the landlord and the landlord was intrigued enough to rent them the property. But the landlord was like, well, I want you to pay $500 more a month per unit because Yikes. you're going to be making money on it. Yeah. Right. And so Which I want you crap. to pay more. And so I said, don't do that deal. Yeah. He said, don't do it. I mean, you're still going to be proud. I said, don't do that deal. If you arbitraging, you have to understand the value that you bring at the same time. And this is one of the biggest game changers for me that I had to realize as, as an arbitrager. And you can imagine how, how many conversations I had with landlords that didn't go well at all to really nail down what they need and understanding their pain points. But at the same time, I, what, what was really the game changer, it's not just nailing down my scripts and knowing what to say, was the confidence that I brought into the conversation. And that confidence comes well with understanding the value you bring as the perfect tenant. Because yes. if you're doing arbitrage right, that's exactly what you'll be. Yep. It's the perfect tenant. Yep. Nobody's gonna take care of this property the way the way yep. you are. Nobody's gonna make sure their rent's paid on time the way you are. You are the value here. So why should you pay more? So I told that student, I said, okay, talk to the landlord, say, hey, okay, if I was a regular tenant that wasn't trying to make money, it'll be you'll charge me the regular rent. And now I'm a regular tenant and you honestly don't know what you're getting with a regular tenant. I know yeah. you did a background check. I'm gonna call that. you at eleven PM exactly. with the leaky toilet. Exactly. I'm gonna, but guess I'm what? gonna call hey, you all my problems. All those problems. But yeah. guess what? We're gonna come in. You know what you're getting. We're trying to make money. So here's the thing. We have to take care of this building. Yeah. Matter of fact, we're going to take all the, we're going to take the maintenance issues off your hands up to $200. And that's negotiable. I can say up to $300, up to $500. Yeah. We always start with $200, up to $200. Any, any, any maintenance issues. So that clogged toilet, that random hole on the wall, that leaky secondary drain valve from your water heater that's causing a leak. We'll handle that at our expense. And if there's something major going on, we'll let you know yeah. about it. We can still oversee it and bring our contracts to do it if you want us to. And we can maybe take it out the rents or, yeah. or just invoice you for it, make it easy for you. We are valuable to you here. We are literally going to be the best tenant you ever had. Why should I pay more? Why? Yeah. I'm not doing it. Meanwhile, a regular tenant, you might not know about that you whole know, exactly. until they get, leave five years later. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, I literally just put one of my properties up on... Uh, Zillow to change it from a short-term rental to a long-term rental. 
And I got a call from a guy who was like, hey, are you interested in doing corporate rentals? And I was like, I'm not just interested. If you have some experience, you got it. Yeah. Like, I would much rather continue to rent this to someone <laughs> who's doing Airbnb. Yeah. If you want to do it your way, I know this property is going to be taken care of much better yep. than a long-term renter. Yep. Yep. And a lot of people might be wondering, like, well, then why don't you just keep doing it as a short-term rental? Well, I live in Fresno. The property was in Arizona. We ended our relationship with our business partner in Arizona for that reason. I'm like, I don't want to deal with just one property Ooh. remotely. If I'm going to, and, and this goes back to kind of what you and I were talking about, you've got to get to a certain point where you can grow this business, especially if you're going to do this remotely. If I live in Las Vegas, I can't do Airbnb in Las Vegas. So if I'm going to go do this in, let's say, Salt Lake City, Ooh. which is not too far away, or Phoenix, or Arizona, which is not too far away, I'm a big believer that you can't just scale in one area with one property mm -hmm. and then go to the next one. You have to scale in that area yeah. and and then maybe think about the next think area. About, so yeah, have, I agree. have you scaled to a different location than Houston? And if so, <laughs> why or have you not? So we're still all in Houston. Oh, wow. That's I am awesome. all in Houston right yeah, now. Good but, for you, man. But, but, but what's, what's great, and, and, and it makes the business a lot easier. But right? we will, it's, it does, it does, absolutely. But we will likely be in another market, likely by 80% chance another market by the end of the year for sure. But going back to hotels, legitimately it is a different exit strategy than mm -hmm. short-term rentals. You don't have to worry about the short-term rental laws, which is great. Yep. So how did you get into hotels? What did that transition look like? Yeah, again, you know, kind of like the natural progression we talked about earlier, right? So for me, it was single family houses, two to four unit buildings, which we evaluate and we run the numbers very similar to single family houses. And so my two to four unit buildings that were full-time short-term rentals, I realized that everything about those buildings were better. They made more money. Operate, running them were, was, was easier. I could rent all three units at the same time to a, to a large group and make a ton more money. So I was like, man, I want more multiple doors in one location. So I started looking for kind of apartment complexes. I said, all right, I was buying apartment complexes. So I started looking for hotels as well. I actually started looking for hotels at first, like small, uh, small hotels, mom and pop stop hotels, boutique hotels. So I started looking for small hotels and, and uh, I started noticing something very interesting because a lot of these hotels are owned by people that have had it for a long time with their family and they don't necessarily keep proper books. And so we started offering creative options to them. And then the other side to that is buying multifamily assets and we just run them as hotels. To me, it's crazy. Like when I talk to people about that, they're like, damn, that's, that's interesting. To me, it was just such a no brainer. Like it yeah. came to me so naturally. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I'll just buy a multifamily the same way I know how to buy real estate. I'll just make the whole building an Airbnb and just brand it yeah. and run it as a hotel. And so that was my first boutique hotel. And so my first boutique hotel, every single one of those units is a full suite, full bathroom, full kitchen, full everything. There you go. But we run it like a hotel. And so that's when I got, got, got into that. That's what got me into boutique hotels, not what got me underwriting and looking into flagship hotels was my business partner. My business partner came into the mix and he, and he owned a bunch of hotels already. And so uh, then I was like, yeah, yeah, this, this is a lane. And well, so the flagship hotel is? Branded hotel. Yeah. We were talking about Marriott's, we're talking yeah. Hilton's and your um, ISG products, mm -hmm. your Holiday Inn's or Crown Plaza's and things like that. Then there's Choices, which is, you know, your Sleep Inn's mm -hmm. and your Comfort Inn's and things like that, which is the lower end, Best Western's and things like that, Mobile Six. Okay. Those brands, what's interesting in the hotel space is, 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 is very different. Because your underwrite hotels like a commercial deal, just like mm -hmm. a multifamily, yep. it's just higher cap rates. And at the same time, a hotel is way more than just real estate. It's a business. Every hotel you own is a business and you have to treat it as such. And because there's a real estate aspect, yes, 
you own a hotel and it's interesting how a lot of people think that when you, they see a Marriott, they think Marriott owns it. Well, they think Hilton owns that hotel. Like right, right. Hilton as a company, yeah. these are individual people <laughs> just like me and you that just own that, that, that franchise. These are franchises. But they franchise. adopt those systems from exactly. that franchise. And they yeah. adopt the systems from and the franchise. And that's the difference between short-term rentals. Oh, very different. Matter of fact, these franchises, like, they have requirements on the standard that yeah. you have to keep. Like, for example, Marriott, every five to seven years, you have to rehab your property. Wow. You have to rehab it to the new, to, to the upgraded standards. Because wow. they not, why do you think you've never seen a, a dated Marriott? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's crazy. A, a super dated Marriott, you won't. Maybe if you see a Marriott that's dated, they're, they're, they're getting towards a tail end of have to undergo uh, yeah. you know, renovations. They have to, and that's one of the things that is very different when you talk about branded hotels. So you, you keep saying I run it like a hotel. What's yeah. the difference between running yeah. it like a hotel? What does that look like compared to a short-term rental? Yeah, so when you run it like a hotel, you know, and, and different hotels are different. Like you can have, maybe you have to have a person there, a uh, person that you have front desk. You have to have a person there at all times. Maybe you don't. Maybe it could be completely hands-off. You don't. You can run it just like a boutique and, and uh, be completely hands-off where you don't have to have staff there. But it's very different in the processes in terms of having multiple doors in one location. Your, your, your turnover process is a little bit different, the way you manage it. In terms of having, I'll probably say, the experiences that you can bring to the guest, for each guest that you bring into the hotel, that experience is gonna be, the, the, it's gonna be like a hotel kind of feel. Here, so I've, I've always thought about getting my own boutique hotel, right? Like, I would say maybe like 10 units or more, right? Like you can kind of consider that like a boutique hotel. Yes, I think anything, I'll say boutique is probably, some will say 100 or less. I'll say 80, 80 keys or less, that's not branded. Okay. It's a self-brand that it could be a brand that you create, a mom and pop brand that maybe has been in the family, but it's not a Marriott, it's not an ISG product, it's not a Crown Plaza, it's right. not none of that stuff. But from an operational standpoint, one of my thoughts was if I had 10 or more, maybe it would behoove me to make one of those units like an on-site manager yeah. who gets crazy low rent or maybe even lives there for free yeah. and like it's their job to kind of treat that as their as their, as yes. their franchise so yes. that it's not a burden yes. on my team or not yes. a burden on me exactly would that be a no that's that's a, that's a massive that's a massive factor and that's a good value that you can add too because um you can have a, somebody stay there and either not charge them anything and, and give them a super low a super low rate which is super beneficial or you can have somebody maybe they live close by and still run it mm -hmm. right and so that piece is important as well. We looked at a, a one at a 25 unit in Point Pleasant Beach in New Jersey. So me okay. and my partner actually flew out there to look at it. The 25 unit, they had somebody there on site. What, they had one unit that was a full apartment and that's where the on-site manager actually stayed and they ran the entire thing. But what's interesting is that they had an on-site manager that ran it, but they actually outsourced the entire management of the hotel. Wow. I just got a, a DM yesterday I said, hey, I have a hotel deal if you're interested in it. The seller's interested in selling it or just letting you match release the whole thing, right? And wow. so that's, that's, it's almost like an arbitrage play just on steroids, like legit. Yeah. We looked at a hotel, a boutique hotel in Miami Beach on Collins Avenue. They had a decent NOI. The NOI was like 1.6 million. They were asking about, uh, they were asking about 22 million for the property, but they were outsourcing the entire building. The owner literally just collects 100, 120K a month and he owns a free and clear. Wow. The operator just pays him flat 120K a month. Wow. But the operator makes 
more than that. Like <laughs> he's cleaning up at the Very same time. Very nice. Very okay. nice. So, so they, you can have a hotel and just outsource the entire thing, arbitrage the entire thing out. Wow. Just collect a flat fee. So you can do that. You could arbitrage your entire hotel as wow. well. You can do that. Now that doesn't happen a lot in the branded side. Yeah. Uh, the branded side is you own own the brand. You have to go by the to, system. You, you, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's different when you own a brand. Now you have you can have a a hundred hundred key boutique hotel or or Marriott hundred key Marriott. That's that's about ten to twenty staff members right there. That's gonna that's yeah. gonna run it. Now the, the the key thing is is that. The actual brand can provide that staff for you that's trained to manage and run for that brand because Marriott has a different way that they have do their breakfast and the things like that. And they the cleaning process and the operation sure. is very okay. different the way Hilton does it and the way other, other, other brands do it. So you can have an operation company that's trained for that brand to run it for you. And then the, you can also have the asset management ran for you, which yeah. is the back end stuff, the bookkeeping and the payrolls and stuff like that. That could be handled by the, the 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 staff from the brand itself, or you can do it yourself, yep. right? But you can have them run it. But of course, the royalty that you'll pay to them goes up about five percent if you have them run it for you. So that's another key difference between the the, the hotel versus doing a uh, versus a short term rental. So I want to talk underwriting right now. Uh, single family home, right? I've got cash on cash return, yeah. also known as ROI, yes. and you know cash flow. Uh, we've got the debt pay down by the tenant, we got the tax advantages, and we got the appreciation. Right. So I'm judging my return based on four different factors right. on that. But with hotels and commercial, yeah. right, we've started adding in things. You already mentioned it, like NOI and yeah. cap rate. Yeah. Talk to me like a second grader right now. Yeah. What are those additional factors that you look at when you go to identify these deals and how you underwrite them to make sure that this is a deal yeah. or not? There's, there's a lot more involved metrics when it comes to commercial deals like hotels and multifamily. The reason why is because you literally, in most of those cases, you raise money, you raise yeah. capital to purchase these assets. And you have to be able to, to not only give your investors a good return, you need to be able to literally in plain paper, show them how they get to get returns, what kind of returns they're getting, what to expect. Of course, we don't know what's gonna happen in the future, right? Yeah. But they need to know within the, the exit plan and with multifamily or hotels, there's always a hold period. It's called a hold period. Is it three years? Is it five years? Is it 10 years? There's a hold period. A hold period doesn't mean you have to sell it at the end of that hold period. Maybe you refinance it at the end of that hold period. But at the end of that hold period, the investors need to get all their money back, everything that, that was promised to them, they need to get that back. So that's why there's a lot more metrics involved. And that whole period is determined by when you underwrite the deal. When we you, underwrite you, the deal. You yeah. can tell your investors what that's going to be. And we, we just tell them what it is. And maybe, and, and it's usually that whole period tends to be based on the vision or the goals of the GPs, of the people that brought this uh, uh, structure the deal. Yeah. So they say, hey, we plan on this is a three-year hold. This is a five-year hold. This yeah. is a 10-year hold. We're more long-term with it. And a lot of times what could happen is, okay, maybe we decide on the five-year hold. Five years come, we decide we want to hold on to it. We'll just refinance and just keep it yeah. and get everybody cashed out. So yeah. that can easily happen as well. But nonetheless, there's so many metrics that, ha that you have to consider because not just one metric tells a whole story. For example, there's a very important metric called the IRR, which is internal called the internal return. rate of return, yep. Yep. which is also based on time. It's a time-valued return metric. Yep. For example, if we bought a $10 million building right now, and I say that, hey, it's a five-year hold period, and there's gonna be a 15% IRR return within which is the great. next five years, which is good. Yeah. And you're gonna make a one, but see, if at 15% IRR, which is, which is good, but if we were to do a three-year hold period, right, that IRR changes to maybe 20, 
21 to 22% IRR. But at the same time, we're not making, like, we're not discounting all the additional money we could have made by holding it longer, yeah. right? But, the, but you're gonna, we're going to make a lot less money, but the IRR is more. Yeah. That's why you can't just base it off the IRR because you might say, that, okay, well, that's great. The IRR sounds good and that's it. But you're missing out on a lot of money. That's and why just, you have to just to clarify for everyone, an IRR is going to factor in what on top of cash flow. So, so the, the IRR factors in the cash flow that you're going to be making plus the exit event. Yeah. Plus the exit event. So, for example, if there's a five-year hold, you're going to make, you know, let's say 7% cash on cash every year, average, average yearly return. But at the end, you're going to make, you'd say you invested 100K, you're going you're gonna to grab get another 100K at, yeah. the, at the very end, right? So now, now that's another that, 100%. Exactly. So it's also yeah. over 100. Yeah, yeah. That's over 100% if yeah. you include the cash flow. Yeah. Right. So, but, but if I, if, I, if that's a five year hold period, but let's say we do a two year hold period or a three year hold period, and that 100% turns to 50%, because now the value, the property is not worth as much as it exactly. would be 10 years from now or five exactly, years from yeah. now. If we sold it in two years, it's worth less. So now you're not going to make as much, but the IRR goes up because the IRR is time sensitive. Exactly. And so that's why you can't just say, okay, we have a good RR number, this is a good deal. Yep. Or we have a good cap rate, this is a good deal. You have to also factor metrics like equity multiple, for example. Equity multiple simply means that, hey, if you have an equity multiple of two, that means that, hey, you put in 100K, you're gonna get a whole 100K back. That's, okay. you just doubled your money. That's equity multiple. So if I say, hey, we're gonna, we're giving an IRR of 15% over five years, equity multiple of two. Now, that tells a bigger picture, mm. right? Yeah. And so that's why you have to consider good. that as well. Okay, what is the cash on cash? Okay, or is that a pref? Or is, or is there a pref? A pref is another metric that you have to talk which to your investor about. Which is a guaranteed return. a guaranteed return. So, hey, we have a pref of 6%. That means we're going to pay you out 6% before we take anything. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you cash flow. Even if you're in the negative, I'm going to get a guarantee. Exactly. You have a guarantee yeah. before we even take anything. Yeah. And so that's a pref. Is there a pref involved? Maybe there's not. Maybe there is. So all these measures that average cash on cash, pref, equity multiple, IRRs, also cap rates, of course, that's important as well. And me, it, it, dumb down cap rate for yeah. me. Cap rate essentially is the capitalization rate on the deal. How much more return? As if you paid cash for it, what are returns you're getting on a property as if you pay cash, <laughs> right? So if it's, I invest $100,000 and I buy that property for cash, even though I'm not going to, let's say a million dollars, more realistic, and I make $100,000 year one without yeah. any mortgage. Without any mortgage. That's a 10% cap. cap. Exactly. Yeah. Divide the hundred divide uh divide the hundred thousand by that by that by that purchase, that's your cap rate. That's yeah. a ten percent, that's a ten percent yeah. cap. Exactly. Literally, that's as if you pay cash. Okay. As if you pay cash for it. That's what the cap rate is. But see, the cap rate doesn't tell the whole story at all. Mm -hmm. At all. No. <laughs> we usually just use cap rates to realize do we want to end this deal or not? Yeah. Do we is this is the deal even worth our time? Yeah. That's where we use cap rate for. And then we okay, now all the other metrics that we yeah. have to we have to tap in on to make sure that we, and everything is to make sure that your investors are making money. When you do deals like this, you're raising money, especially if it's a syndication, yeah. you have to take care of your investors first. So Team Trillis, what I want you guys to hear right now is that this is <laughs> a lot. There's a lot going on, right? We're usually talking about, hey, I invest $20,000 for arbitrage or I get someone else to let me coast their property and I'm making this return and like it's an easy situation, but for all of this, there's so many different metrics that yeah. go into it. What I love about the conversations that we've had here in Cabo is that, bro, you're actually helping people by underwriting deals, getting on the phone with sellers. Yeah. Like, tell, just break down for a second. If someone was like, all right, I wanna get into hotels or I wanna get into bigger deals mm -hmm. like TJ's doing, how can I get TJ's help? What does that look like? 
Well, so we can, we, we can definitely tap in. And we, of course, we have our, we actually started a hotel mastermind. And we're going to be focused on boutique hotels right. and branded hotels as well. So all hotels alike, whether it's boutique, whether it's a Marriott, whether it's a Crown Plaza, whatever the case may be, and boutiques as well. And one of the great things, and I love doing this for my students now, is being on calls with them, helping them structure their deals, helping them put their deals together. And, um, and that's one of the most valuable things that I do. And I love it. I'm not going to lie. I get, I get yeah. kind of geeky with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, and we run, run through these numbers, especially with creative financing. We, man, that creative financing is a whole other piece. Yeah. And people don't even realize creative financing is easier with hotels. It's easier. Oh, I'm sure, because there's less buyers. There's less buyers. Yeah. There's less buyers. And on top of that, and I know this is a slight segue, but on top of that, for example, sub two. If I take a property over sub two as a single family home, I'm taking it over sub two. The loan still stays in your name because you don't, that just because you're on title don't mean you have to be on a note. So you can be on a note, but I can own it and be on title. Mm -hmm. So you can still own the debt while I, while I own the property. So with sub two, with a, with, a, with a single family home, I will just take over your loan. Honestly, the lender's none the wiser, the lender's still okay because they're still getting their payments, oh, no problem. We have to make sure that the paperwork is good. You got to do all that jazz, but nonetheless, very legal process, nothing wrong with it. Buying a property sub, sub two, we just had one of my students last week just closing a property sub two. Nice. So that's normal. But see, in the, the difference is single family, the lender's known the wiser. The lender is known the wiser of what's actually happening with that property. With multifamily, hotels, when every time we get a deal, first question we ask, does it have a loan on it? Mm. And is it assumable? See, assumable loans are different for subject two. A subject two, I'm not assuming the loan, I'm just taking over the loan. Okay. The loan is still in your name. An assumption. If I'm assuming the loan, you, the loan is no longer in your name, moving you out of the note, I am now assuming the loan. I am on a note now. But that's okay with bigger deals. Why? Because sure. it doesn't report to our credit or anything. Yeah. A lender literally will just qualify you. The last deal we underwrit, we're looking at, we had a Zoom call, myself, my business partner, our agent, the lender, on the phone, on the Zoom call. Oh, seller. Myself, business partner, seller, both of our agents, lender. Crazy. On the phone, never happened, ever happened with single family. Yeah. With multi-family, lender is like, yeah, the loan's assumable. It's at 3.8%. Uh, we just need to qualify you to make sure that you're qualified to, to do this. We want to yeah, check yeah, out yeah. your history. And yeah, you can just assume the loan. Wow. We can literally have these conversations with the banks <laughs> and assume That's the cool. loan with multi-family. Why? Because the value is based on the income. It's based on the income that it brings. Yeah, not so your personal situation. Not the personal yeah. situation. It's yeah. based on the income. So if you have experience, if you have the experience or you have somebody on the team with the experience, then they'll approve you. You yeah. can just assume the loan. That's why I love creative financing, even at the hotel level, because it's easier to do. It's actually a normal conversation. Is it, is it a, does it have a loan? Oh, awesome. Is it assumable? It's not? All right, bet. All right. <laughs> we'll get yeah. on lender. Yeah. <laughs> that, then that's nice. Or that's that person, is it assumable? Yes. Awesome. We're, we're gonna and you're helping students have all these conversations. Oh, yeah. We're helping students have all these conversations. Yeah. And they got to know what questions to ask, of course. And, uh, of course, how to have these conversations. Um, a lot of our students now, most of them are still one to four units. One to four units. We, yeah. See, with those, the sellers there, most of those sellers don't even know much about credit financing at all. Yeah. They, they don't even know that it's even, even an option to sell credit finance, sell creatively. And so we will come in and we'll have to educate them on some level. But I will literally would jump on a Zoom call with my student and help them with the seller make the offer or structure the deal. And it's one of my favorite things to do because if I do it with one of my students two or three times, the next time they don't need me to do it anymore. The next time it's just, hey, I just put another yeah. one on the contract. I know how to have the conversations now. So 
I love, I love doing it, and I get pretty right. geeky with it, too. So if you guys are interested in getting TJ's help, getting this team's help, then you're going to go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash pick your coach. We talk about it all the time. TJ is one of the few coaches that we recommend uh, in this space to be able to level up your business. So, TJ, if people aren't necessarily ready to, uh, you know, sign up and be a student of yours, but they want to keep on digesting your content, Absolutely. where can they find you? Uh, IG, definitely tap in on IG, uh, at TJ Tajani. Uh, I, my YouTube at TJ Tajani on my YouTube as well. Always posting great content, always adding value. So definitely tapping on there. Shoot me a DM. We'll chop it up with you. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see how we can help you buy your next Airbnb with no banks, no credit, no income, no yeah. none of that stuff. It's awesome. Bro, you're awesome. I love that we're hanging out in Cabo here. Love we're that we're time. having a good time with uh, just, you know, feeding into to students and helping a bunch Absolutely. of people. But I love all the things that you're doing with hotels, with creative financing, with Everything short-term rentals. So thanks for helping our audience today to conquer the world's short-term rentals. I appreciate Listen, it, brother. It's, it's, been, it's been great. This is my second time here. It's not going to be my last time, I'm sure. I'm excited. <laughs> so appreciate you having me, brother. It's been awesome. Hey, by the way, TJ Chajani is also one of our coaches that we recommend. So if you want to get some help from TJ Chajani, then go ahead and go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash pick your coach. You can check out what he has to offer, and you can go ahead and get one-on-one and mastermind work with TJ in his group. All right, that's going to do it today for the Fearless Investor Podcast. We're helping you to conquer the world of short-term rentals. We'll see you next time. Hey, Fearless Investor community. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Fearless Investor. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And for more free content, check out my YouTube channel, also called the Fearless Investor, and our website, www.fearlesskyle.com. Until next time, keep on conquering the world of short-term rentals.